On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss cleaning out our computing lives in hardware or software. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 51 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. With me today are my two Linuxy co-hosts, Wendy, the photographer breakdance champion, and Matt, the game pusher and enabler. Wendy, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? You know, no complaints. Life is pretty good, I think. <laughs> you know, spring is upon us. I'm excited to do some cleaning as it were. Do you have anything exciting going on in the world of life in Idaho? Yes, actually. I am working more on getting my standing desk all done, put together. All the supplies have been ordered. All of the hardware has arrived. The resin and everything for the stone coat that I'm going to do on top of the MDF will be here on Friday. Unfortunately, I won't actually be able to do the coating because we're traveling to go see family for Easter. So sometimes next week, I'll actually be able to get the coat on the desktop and eventually, eventually actually get to use the standing desk that I ordered. I'm really tired of not having a standing desk and it sucks to have all of the parts there, but knowing that you can't quite get it all put together yet is very much a bummer, but eventually I will have it. Hopefully when we record next week, I'll actually be using the standing desk. We'll see if I can get it put together on, well, I guess I'd have to do it Monday. So it probably won't be next week, just thinking about what my schedule <laughs> looks like. Right. So in two weeks, hopefully, I will be able to be using the standing desk for recording the show, I did get a new chair. Well, that's good. The one that I'd been using, it was really old when we got it used from family and it was done. Like it was absolutely done to sit in that chair and edit a show or play games or anything like that. It was really starting to kill my back. So that chair had to be replaced regardless of whether I was getting a standing desk or not because it was just painful. I got a new chair. It arrived Monday immediately. My husband helped me put it together. And then I used it in doing the editing for almost the entire episode 50. And were you less fatigued after using the new chair? The seat is a little bit too hard. I'm hoping that kind of breaks down a bit as time goes on or, you know, gets more comfortable as it gets broken. But otherwise, it is so much better than the last chair. So, Matt, what have you been up to? I have been doing something that uh, last week, ironically, I said I didn't really do much of, and that has been distro hopping, but not on production machines. Well, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Legit, my production machines are actually still what they are. I was given a few machines a couple of weeks ago to do as I will with, so I had to see what was on them. Ironically, Windows, no surprise there. My jaw has dropped. Windows got nuked and paved to oblivion because not a fan. <laughs> it's older hardware. Windows is just a bad fit for it. I've tried mostly Ubuntu distros, which is weird when one of the main production machines is an Arch system. For some people, will find that odd. For me, it's mostly because they're the ones that do the most interesting things with the desktops. I'm this weird person. I actually like to use the pointy-clicky interface portion of a Linux desktop. Shock. Shock. You're saying you're not an i3 fan? Great for those Mensa users who are. 
I have actually been trying out again Ubuntu Unity and Ubuntu Deep in Desktop. Not gonna lie, there's still a lot of stuff. Even Unity is looking a little long in tooth as far as like actual perception of look. Unity is still a really usable desktop. It still looks good, but it's not. You can tell it thematically throughout the structure of the desktop that there hasn't been a lot of work done in the last few years there. Ubuntu Deepen, I like, but this is going to be more of a problem that I have with Deepen in and of itself, like the desktop. Some of the stuff that made it unique is kind of gone. I like the core apps. I think the core apps are minimalist, but functional and look well. And the fact that, Nate, they use QT, so... Right, better. Better, anyway. The one thing that I liked about the Deepen desktop was the fact that your control panel was always just down in the bottom corner. So you just had to slide the mouse down there, hit, you know, hot corner, activate it, and all your controls were on a slide out. They kind of got rid of that, and I think it kind of lost some of its uniqueness to me. That's really been kind of a bummer because they want more traditional GNOME-ish kind of settings, which, eh, whatever. I've always been one for the weird and, yeah, you know, unique, so. Yeah, you do have a history of that. When it comes to hardware and software. Uh, me, no. Kind of your thing. Distro hopping's been interesting. I'm probably going to try out a few more distros on these machines. See what they can do. What distros? I have no idea. I might try some more out there. What do you ones. consider out there? For me, out there are ones that I haven't really touched a lot of time. Ubuntu Unity's on my Lenovo Legion. That's really not a out there distro, but I wanted to see how it played with not so modern hardware on that. Something like Solus Budgie, Ubuntu Budgie, because they do different stuff with Budgie than Solus would. Distros I haven't really tried in a long time. Not really a long time, but it's been a good six months minimum since the last time I even remotely looked at them. So a distribution I was told to try. What, OpenSUSE? It's actually by someone who was on the OpenSUSE board. They said, actually, try Open Mandriva. That apparently they're doing some really interesting things. They're straying from the norm. They're actually experimenting in a different way than Fedora. I can't remember what the key point was. I'll have to ask him again, like the why. What's really the reason? Something that I, me personally, am considering, just checking out, no intention of switching distributions. Apparently, they're actually doing some interesting things in that community. It might be worth a trip. Oh, that's a trip to DNF and RPM land, though. I'm not a fan. You know, I'm not a fan of certain fast food restaurants, but every once in a while, I want to reaffirm that uh, and have a miserable experience, knowing that I'm a paid have a miserable experience. Sometimes I do that. I really don't mind DNF. I think it's one of the better package managers. And I think what I liked most about DNF is the commands to use it just seemed i hate to use the words common sense but when it comes Logical. to pacman versus dnf the commands are so much more ah that makes sense whereas with pacman it's like where where did that come from yeah you know the pseudo pacman tech capital s lowercase yu then whatever you yeah I, I know i'm just giving nate a hard time maybe the guys who do flat pack should take some cues from dnf just saying so that the command right. actually makes sense but no that is what i have been doing what have you been up to though nate might come as a bit of a surprise to you but i've been playing with open tumbleweed with plasma on a raspberry pi 4 and yes it works great so it actually is a 64-bit build that's arm arch 64-bit and i'm impressed by how nice plasma runs on the uh, raspberry pi 4 and maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I am. There's a lot of work being done in the OpenSUSE community on ARM right now. 
It's really funny in the uh, the mail list, like reading what people are commenting. And there was an issue. OpenSUSE works upstream a lot with kernel teams and everything else. And so generally speaking, if it's not in the kernel from the upstream, it's not generally patched at the OpenSUSE level. I mean, there are patches obviously done for certain functions that they can maintain, but they try and limit their technical liabilities. Does that make any sense? Anyway, there was an issue where the audio driver for the Pi 4 wasn't upstreamed. Now, it's been like 18 months since the Pi 4 is released. And so as of, I think, the last snap shot or one of the last few snapshots of OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. Finally, everything's working perfectly right out of the box. There's no weirdness now. I don't have to like go around and mess in config files to try and activate the audio driver with some strange sleight of hand, essentially. A series of three and five letter words that don't make sense to make it work. Some <laughs> strange Etsy file. Runs really well. I was actually playing with it. Forced me to upgrade some of my instructions on how to set up the codex, the multimedia codex in OpenSUSE because that has to be separate for legal reasons. It's not just one click. Although they could make it one click deployment. It wouldn't be that hard to do really. Uh, they just can't include it directly. But it all works. All the multimedia stuff works. Watch some YouTube videos on it yesterday and some other various video streaming things. The command for Tumbleweed on x86 architecture to add the codecs and put in repositories, it's, everything's the same. There's no difference from a user perspective using an x86 machine versus an ARM-based, specifically the Raspberry Pi 4, for setting it up. And I thought that was great. I did some other research, too, on how to use variables and such in bash commands. Now, the Pi 4 does get a little bit on the warm side. I got one of these uh, Flirk cases, F-L-I-R-C, just in case anybody decides to look it up. It's a very nice-looking case. It's kind of aluminum with uh, some black accenting and whatnot. It does get pretty warm to the touch, not like unreasonably warm, but it does get pretty warm you know, using it. So I did a 48-hour burn-in, essentially, on it, doing all the things I would normally do with a computer on that. And I think I might make it the new school computer, the memory work for us to rehearse and everything else. I'm going to transfer all the stuff on there, kind of sync thing it in and make that the new machine so I don't have to use my laptop, you know, bring it in or whatever to do that. So it's going to have a job, a function. So are you going to mount it somewhere or just still be able to kind of move it around? Oh, it's mounted. It's on a screen on the wall, a Pi. Very cool. I like that idea. I'm really impressed with how well it works. One of my issues with the uh, Raspberry Pi OS, last I checked, I can be corrected if I'm wrong here, but last I checked, it was a 32-bit operating system. They didn't actually take advantage of the 64-bit capabilities of it. And so OpenSUSE does actually take advantage of all the hardware, which is kind of huge in my opinion. I think there are other distributions that do it too. I think Ubuntu also takes advantage of the 64-bit architecture. I haven't checked. I don't know for sure. It's a good experience if you want to play the Raspberry Pi. I have another little project I'm working on, Raspberry Pi 4 related. Hopefully that'll be done in the next few weeks as well. Good times. It's fun playing with hardware. This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln and you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. Spring is upon us. The time to sweep out our dust bunnies, purge our unused, outgrown items, and clean your windows, and let out your MacBook Air. Do any of you two have a ritual, annual or otherwise, that relates to spring cleaning in your Linux or technology life? 
That is definitely a yes, depending on how you want to look at it. Your definition of spring cleaning. I make weird resolutions every so often, like one where I say I'm not going to buy any video games all year. It's a little bit rigid, but it's not weird. Is it really rigid, though, given the amount of games that I have? Every time the spring cleaning comes up, it's, uh, what am I going to use? Does this have its purpose, a purpose? If it doesn't, why do I have you? That kind of mentality is what I take to, I don't want to say tech minimalist because let's be real, just looking at game consoles, I don't do minimalist. <laughs> like what's the purpose of a machine, a piece of hardware, software, etc. is kind of how I look at whether or not I keep something. So every year I go through the random stack of junk that I have or have accumulated over the years and see if does this have its purpose? Is this being used? If the answer is no and can I part this? I either sell it, piece it out, part it, whatever it takes to make it go away because it's just collecting crap to me. I've never been one big on keeping a lot of stuff. I'm the type who literally when I moved, I wanted to pack everything in 15 boxes and that was it. <laughs> My definition of spring cleaning is a little extreme to some people. Well, you moved recently. When I have moved because of that mentality of like... You only want to move as much stuff as you absolutely have to and find new places for stuff that you absolutely I got it. have to. Yeah. The thing is when you have that mentality though, it also is like your discernment for what you keep and what you don't is a little more narrow focused. You don't have an attachment to a lot of stuff. When it comes to tech, yeah, like I love my HTPCs. I love my, you know, laptops and desktops and all that stuff. But it's like, do I have an attachment to it? Do you have a function or a need? Example, moving. I'm really not going to need much in the way of an HTPC. So I'll probably dump the hard drive, sell the machine and call it good. I got it. I have a little bit of an opposite approach. If I have a PC, let's say it's no longer really considered useful in the sense of like daily driver use. My thought is I don't want my shelves to float away. So I want to keep my shelves weighted down. That's why I hang onto all these old machines. I'm really concerned about gravity, you know, having its way with my shelves in the absence of things on them. I'm not sure if that's how gravity works, but you know, okay, <laughs> I'll go with it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just spitballing here. I get where you're coming from, Nate. That's your interest. What can you still do with, not necessarily obsolete stuff, you know, in case I'm obsolete stuff. What can you still get out of a system? I've always liked that ingenuity portion that you take with a lot of hardware where I wouldn't think of using something, you know. I poke fun at the OpenSUSE and all the uh, Amiga stuff and Commodore 64 stuff. At the end of the day, you're actually still using the machines in a way that most modern people wouldn't think of using because of the mentality we take with most systems. Yeah, I'm not saying it's the, the right choice in what I do. The idea for me anyway is that I like to keep old things relevant in some way or just experiment with them to see if I can keep them relevant or sometimes it's just as a way to learn learning something else about a thing. Is it practical? No, not really. Most of the time it's not, but it's fun. It, for me, it's an entertainment thing. You know, I get my entertainment more out of what can I do with this thing as opposed to playing a game on the thing necessarily. Here's my question though. How do you determine when you finally get rid of something? Is that like a teeth pulling process for you like it is when you buy new hardware? Or I should say new to you hardware. You've talked about how it takes you forever to actually make a purchase. It depends on what it is. Hardware, software, it doesn't matter. So for software, if I have no more use for it, I will see if I can find somebody that would have use for it. So let's say I have an old box game of like Warcraft 2 Tides of Darkness. I'm not going to play it anymore, but I know somebody who is a video game collector. I'll very often give it to them so they can do something with it. I won't just throw it in the goodwill bin. I'll try and target something like that that actually has value to me. 
I'm not saying that has happened, but I have given specific items away to people who I know will do something with it. As far as computers go, I don't have a whole lot of attachment to PCs. They're kind of commodity items. Specific PCs, yes. Like I have a Inspiron 5100 was the first computer that I used full-time in Linux for an extended period of time. I used it for what, I think three or four years, this computer. So I still have that. Like right now it has Puppy Linux on it. And what I'll do is I'll test old distributions on that from time to time. Do I need to do that? No, it's just fun. I have some other like 32-bit Optiplex machines that I have no idea why I keep them around and I really should get rid of them, but there's still components that are good on them. I think it's just more like just keep them around. So those are just on the shelf. So when I need a component or one that I am using, I'll pull them out of that so they're parts machines. But once I have no more value in keeping them around, I will part with them. Although I have this idea of maybe I should use one of those as a Raspberry Pi case with like all the different little accoutrements. But that's a whole other project. And Ooh, I like the idea of that. But the problem with Raspberry Pis is they're fun little computers, but when you start using all these different little modules on it, then you have like this mess of modules. And so I need to put them in something. So rather than like buy a case for it, I can just use one of these old outmoded computers that have dead motherboards or whatever on it and just put it in there. And then I can put other interfaces like three and a half inch bay. I can put like a USB extender on there so I can plug in USB things, add a reset button because a Raspberry Pi doesn't have that, but I need to add a board to do that. I have to put all that somewhere in some case, like the Flirt case, I can't do that. It makes like for a good appliance. If I see there's some value in it, I'll hang on to it. So I guess maybe I'm a bit of a hoarder. I also have a policy on if it's older or vintage hardware and I have no use for it, I will find somebody. If it's newer stuff and there's just no use for it anymore, I will do e-recycling on it if no one else wants it, essentially. I'm probably a mix between both of you. It really depends on the type of tech, depends on how often it gets gone through, that kind of thing. If it's a phone and I'm done with it, it's either an upgrade for my daughter or we sell them because that helps offset the cost of the next device. Anytime we get new phones, it's not necessarily associated with spring, but I too try to keep that kind of stuff cleared out. And some of that is I don't need those hanging around. Most of them aren't getting updates after a certain time anymore. There's no reason to keep that tech just hanging around. I have wished that my old Nexus device, specifically the last one, I can't remember what that one was called. I wish I still had that because I'd totally be playing with UB ports on it. If I had one right now, I do not have a device that I can put that on and I want to. So I've almost been tempted to pick up another used one if I could find one that was still good just to play with that kind of stuff on. Or you can pick up the Pine Phone. Or I could pick up a Pine Phone when they become available to buy again. They're not available at the 10. Not an option. Wendy's inner distro hopping geek wants to jump around on different OSs. Yes, love that so much. And even best, that wouldn't be my main phone. So I could do all kinds of jumping around I wanted to without worrying about why couldn't I get a hold of you? Because I was changing the ROM. Again. (laughs) Again. When it comes to other hardware, though, especially when it's computers, I have a really, really hard time getting rid of any of it. I am currently looking at a laptop that I bought fall 2005. Guess what? It's not going anywhere. Does it work? No. It's 32-bit. Keys are missing. But it's still sitting on the shelf above me. There's no other reason for it to be there other than nostalgia, I guess. It was the first laptop that I ever bought. I keep other hardware, if I've dismantled stuff, knowing that I could use it again, maybe eventually. The CPU that is currently in my kitchen system, 
I had that for, oh, God, years. I can't remember exactly when I bought it, but it was an HP all-in-one system. So it had the big touchscreen, whatever, had issues multiple times. The motherboard died and I wasn't getting it fixed anymore. Pain in the butt. That's the worst part about all-in-one systems, repairing them. Yep. So I dismantled it, saved a bunch of the parts that I could. And one of the parts that I saved was the CPU. The kitchen system I have, it's one of those mini towers. It came with an i5 and the motherboard that's currently in that old Dell mini system would take that old i7 that I had and I swap out CPUs. I still have the one that I took out of the other system. What am I going to do with it? I don't know, but one day there'll be a project that comes up that I could potentially use the hardware for. We have a spare room that is where when we have a guest, they sleep and they're usually surrounded by our crap. It really is like a spare room and storage room all in one. I told you last week, there's not a single room in this house that isn't multi-purpose. So... <laughs> in that room, there's a closet with a shelf that is completely dedicated to old tech. Stuff that I bought that I didn't need at the time. So I bought extra fans when I ordered my Noctua fans for this system. I bought extra fans at the time. I was already having them chipped here. I might as well get a few extra fans at the same time. So when I do another build, I've got extra fans. All of that is in there. I have a really hard time getting rid of that stuff. And it probably comes from past experiences with other things of I may use it one day. I finally get tired of it, get rid of it, and then I need it. I've done that on more than one occasion. So I have a box full of really old cables. Do I probably need all of those cables? Could a bunch of them go to recycling? Yeah, probably. But then there's that one time where I get this odd piece of hardware or something happens and I need this one specific odd cable. And guess what? Because I save all the cables everywhere all the time, I've got one. <laughs> I totally agree. And I, I do the exact same thing. I don't like to get rid of cables anymore. I've already made that mistake a couple times. And now I have a bin of like, these are all AC power connectors, like with the IEC connector on the back, you know, that most PCs take, even my Commodore 64 disk drive takes that same plug. Yeah. I have a box of things like that, laptop power supply or they get a two-prong or three-prong. All the different ones that I have are sitting in one bin. I even have European plugs too. So when I did travel, I would grab one of those instead of a stupid adapter. I look like I fit in more, I guess, you know, when I was in the office in Europe because I had the right kind of... Until you fired up a machine that screwed OpenSUSE and you talked. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I literally just used it last summer when I was hunting Pokemon, remember? Anyway. I even hang on to the old desktop power supplies. So I have the original that I took out of the last pre-built that I bought. And then I have the one that I replaced it with when I put in the modular system on my upgrade last year. So yeah, I really hang on to absolutely everything that I can. So at any time, stuff can be either replaced or if I get a case, which I'm hoping to, I need to be looking for a case for the living room system. And if I ever get a new GPU for this system, then I've got everything else in order to put together a new system for the living room. Right. When you think about it though, hanging on to power supplies, there is an actual practical outside of computer use for them. If you, let's say, were dabbling in electronics, one of these power supplies is fantastic because you have high DC output. You already have coming out of it, positive 12, you 
have three volt and a five volt at the minimum. I think you also have some negative rails too. So there's all these things you can do. Then you can actually wire those together correctly. You can actually get 24 volts between them. That's how it works out in my head. I could be wrong. So there's all these things you can do with these power supplies. Maybe they're just not good, not enough power for your computer anymore. You just want a better power supply or a quieter one or whatever. These old power supplies, you can run them as multifunctional, like electronic test bench power supplies. There's just all kinds of neat things you can do with it, which is why I don't throw stuff like that away either. Leave it to Nate. Sometimes there's laptops you get, especially with school stuff that I've got some extra RAM. Hey, I may be able to use in a system. All of that stuff, right? I can't seem to throw any of that away. But I have that problem in general until, especially with kids' toys or clothes or whatever, I just reach the point of, oh my gosh, I can't take the clutter anymore. And then I gut entire rooms and then go, huh, I feel better. I hope I don't need any of that. (laughs) (laughs) We did that to outside toys recently where I was tired of them being everywhere and stepping on them. And so I said, forget it. Mom's done. It's all going. Right. I get it. So when you step on a toy, that's usually the end of the life of the toy anyway. Perhaps, possibly, if you're a little bit stressed that day, it might be... <laughs> More so. More so. If it's a minefield to bring groceries in the house. <laughs> right. Mm. Yeah. And I don't feel bad about when I step on toys either. My foot feels bad, but I don't feel bad about it. Right. It shouldn't have been left in the walkway in the first exactly. place. Yeah. Wendy, the question is, did the kids end up needing any of that stuff? <laughs> no, it really... When it comes to toys, I really don't buy a whole lot of toys anyway. This is a hit off topic. Probably part of the reason why I keep older tech around too, just build quality. There are toys that my husband played with, some of the original Transformers toys that my kids still play with every time we go to my in-laws house. And considering they lived through my husband, they've been played with by all of my kids and they still play with them. They're in extremely good shape. New toys, you get it, it breaks, it's no good. I typically don't spend money on most of that anyway just because of build quality. And I'd rather hang on to a piece of hardware that I know is good build quality even though it's older because I'm more likely to be able to use it in the past because old stuff can be awesome. As our old Transformers, I like to go through my files on my computer and periodically clean them out. I don't know if I'd make springtime necessarily my main time of cleaning it out. Usually it comes down to hey, we got to record, not to be like a Michael or anything like that, but I do want to be sure that I have enough space on my hard drive and I tend to accumulate things. Like my electronics, I tend to hoard files too. I'll do like backups for people and backup and restores and I'll hang on to the backup for a while until I know that everything's good to go. Like they don't complain a few months later or whatever. So then I'll wipe those out. Sometimes I'll forget to wipe them out. I'll see a huge chunk of memory underneath of storage under a folder or whatever. And I use a tool, a really neat tool, Conqueror. It's not exactly a hot topic item, but Conqueror has one of the greatest tools ever for analyzing your file system. There's a, a file size view add-on or plugin or whatever. It's generally bundled along with it. You may have to add it, install it separately, but it allows me to look at my files visually and see what's taking up the most space. You can actually visually see like this folder, let's say documents is taking up so many gigs and picture taking up so many gigs. And I can actually then start to identify like if there are any hidden folders because you sync thing, you have like the dot folders. And I don't know how often it'll actually clear those out. There's a dot folder that has backups and such. It keeps backups. So I'll clean out those backups from time to time or whatever. I try to, especially in the springtime, go through and kind of tidy up my file systems on my Linux machines. I'll either delete or I'll archive the contents. So I'll archive it to my server in a specific archive folder. So it's not on my laptop when I go around. It's a great tool to use. And it's good to not let your file system max itself out. Although I think XFS is a bit more tolerant than others for that. At least that's been my experience. <laughs> Yeah, I try to remove old files or duplicates for the most part. Anytime I'm switching out new hard drives is typically when 
I do most of that. What was it? Last year, I needed to upgrade the main backup drives that I have, and I really need a NAS, but I don't have one yet. It is on the wish list, and one thing I probably should have already, but I don't have one. So I needed to go from a four terabyte hard drive, which was nearly full, and I was bumping it up to an eight, which now it's only been a year and is nearly full. I need to do this again. Hey, maybe this is a yearly thing. See? <laughs> so as I am swapping, going from one drive to the next, and I, you both typically save that spinning rest drive and not actually delete it, pull everything off that's currently on it, and then put the old drive in the safe where I know where it is. I can kind of keep track of it for a while, make sure everything's good. When I'm doing that transfer, because there is so much data there and I'm usually doing a folder at a time or depending on the size of what's inside that folder, I'm doing subfolders. I'll go through and make sure that whatever I'm transferring over to the new drive isn't a duplicate or that kind of thing. Except for when it comes to pictures, especially family pictures, I know I have a million and five duplicates on there, but because there are so many and I was horrible at naming schemes in the beginning, I don't want to accidentally delete a picture. My kids were born in the digital camera age. All of the pictures of them are digital and I would be devastated if I lost their entire lives in pictures because yes. I was just going through and deleting stuff, that is the one folder that probably doesn't get cleaned out and needs it the most. Most of the important stuff that I need to keep is usually backed up already. So my systems tend to be pretty lean as far as like residual stuff. And I don't have a lot of leftover stuff on my file system. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> uh, if it's not intended to stay on my system it generically doesn't certain things like my music collection all obviously that stays backed up that stays on a local system though like there's different areas that have backed up like my hdpc everything that's on that drive is backed up so that way if i lose stuff i really don't care but the actual stuff that's on the machine if like if it goes away or if for some reason i accidentally deleted it, it's like well at least i got a couple of different places to go back and <laughs> grab that stuff honestly the stuff that takes up the most stuff the space on my computers is pretty much video games mm -hmm. Oh. Yes, video games get their own dedicated drive. Yeah, uh, right now, I think, well, depending on the system I have, the Gaber OS has about 60 games installed, and I think the Lenovo Legion has a terabyte drive dedicated to itself, as far as just video games. Well, you don't even need to play that many video games in order to need a dedicated video game drive, which mm. also helps if you need to do a reinstall, because then you don't have to reinstall all of those games. They're just in that same folder for or drive for Steam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Steam to tell too. you how much of a hoarder I am when it comes to that stuff, there are six drives connected to my main system. Wow. <laughs> in Wendy's defense and fairness, how much of that is related to photography? Because raw images are not small. Most of it. So I have two drives that currently aren't being used right now. They're still in the system because they're all internal drives. The ones that I have set to automatically start up when I start up the system or of course the boot drive it's kind of necessary then there is the games drive which is an entire currently one terabyte devoted to games then i have my backup drive 
and I have what's labeled as the media drive. So when I download pictures, they automatically go to the media drive and to the backup drive. So my media drive is an NVMe drive. It has some of the faster response times. That's where all my editing comes from, whether it's video, audio, photo, all of that, all those raw files are being sent directly to that media drive and that's where I'm working on them from. I know I'm to the point where I'm about ready to overflow any one of these drives. And so those two existing drives that used to be game drives, they're smaller ones. So at one point I had two drives that were game drives. They both filled up. I needed a new drive for games. The two are no longer game drives. Did not remove them from my system because, you know, I'm going to need them. They're already in there. So I installed new one wiped the two game drives and they're there for when I need overflow from one of the other existing drives. It's kind of an everyday use. On my server, I have seven drives on that. Six of are in a RAID 10. Probably don't have the raw storage you do, I would say. That's where I do my dumping. Uh, right now, total storage inside my main desktop to estimate, I'd say is probably right around 10 to 12 terabytes. Yeah, more than twice what I have. I think somebody else might need to do some cleaning. <laughs> Wendy, <laughs> just saying. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, with that being said, I think we all have different ways in which we clean, be it hardware, software for some of us. Ways we clean are ways we don't clean. Right. Reasons why we hoard. Community, how do you guys clean out your digital lives, your digital hardware, and all the other fun stuff? Comment, let us know. Always an interesting topic on why people keep what they do and what they don't or what they may or may not hoard together, etc. This episode of DLN Extend is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications such as a master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. There are many reasons why I chose Bitwarden as my personal password manager. One of those reasons, it is 100% open source. You can also self-host your Bitwarden instance. They also offer security audits to make sure your passwords are as secure as they can possibly be. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. They offer an, a premium account for just $10 per year. What do you get with that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want that premium account for just $10 per year to support this amazing open source software. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Well, Matt, when you're done pushing and enabling people on games to buy or whatever you're going to clean out of your queue of things you haven't played, what do you have to push on us uh, this week? Wow, that makes me sound a whole lot worse than it really is, Nate. You make it sound like I'm the enabler. 
thing I'm going to enable you guys to be aware of so that you may or may not purchase at your um, own discretion and not me is a game called Dark Sector. It is a third person over the shoulder action game. Very 2007, 2008 kind of game. We'll also state it is not a non-mature game. So it was rated M for mature. It says a parental advisory. When I try to go to it, I had to punch in my pin so my kids don't see things like this. We'll just say uber violence. I don't think bodies come apart like that. The thing I like about this game, though, is it's actually done by the guys who did Warframe. If you know the history of the company that made Warframe, this is one of their first games. There's minute nods in Warframe to this game. The main character that you play is called Alex Tenno in Warframe. All the Warframes are known as Tenno's in the universe of Warframe. Little nice little nods and stuff to this particular game. This recently got the one problem that was making it unplayable on Linux, playable now. Steam specifically on one of their updates for Proton mentioned this game and they're like oh we fixed it so you can actually hear the audio now because before you could play the game all you wanted like the game played fine you just didn't have any audio whatsoever (laughs) that can put a damper on gameplay for sure yeah when a game is about not dying (laughs) and you can't exactly see everything there's this item that you'll get called the glaive which is like a three-pronged boomerang basically that you use to solve puzzles fight enemies and make certain things disappear off themselves. Detached, maybe? There's a dismemberment portion to using the glaive. There's a slowdown effect where it helps you solve the puzzles, but you can also use it as a way to fight enemies, not just with guns, rocket launchers, and all the typical trophy third-person over-shoulder gameplay stuff. Uh, There's stealth elements to the game. For a game that came out in 2007-2008, there's certain aspects of it that still look kind of good. The opening level, like you're on a fortress, but if you actually look out and look down at like the water, the water effects are really nice. It's got a very muted color palette. I'm not going to lie. It's very black grays, 2000-ish kind of gameplay. Really fun game. And it's only 10 bucks. That's the normal price. Not a sale price. Definitely worth it. I'm not going to lie. This game, of all your games, this one interests me probably the least. But thank you for sharing. I just don't like gratuitous violence. Graphic-wise, yeah, I agree. It looks, they look really good. It's definitely very atmospheric, kind of apocalyptic looking Eastern Black European country type architecture. Well, Wendy, what's been on your mind as far as your interests and stuff lately? The photo topic last week from Discourse made me think about naming really is super important. And I kind of wanted to share some of the tips I've picked up from using Rapid Photo Downloader for a few years now. One of the best things that you can do when you're naming images using this software tool is don't be afraid to use job codes, even though you're taking pictures just for you. Those job codes help you know exactly what is in that folder or what that image is without having to open it up. If you're looking at what my standard renaming. So this is every time I am downloading pictures from my phone, my camera, whatever, however pictures are coming in, it starts with the job code. I want to know exactly what that image is. And then I have the image date. I have mine set up for year, month, day with no space in between. You know, you could have different symbols in between if that helps you see. I've just been looking at it for long enough now that I can usually pick out what things are from that. I really like that way of dating stuff because it seems to make more sense for going from year, month, day. And then it has 
an individual image number. I usually take the image number that my camera gave it and save it. If you wanted to, based on all of the different renaming options that you have inside of Rapid Photo Downloader, and really, they give you so many different ways that you can name files. You can just go crazy and have extremely complicated ones if you want to. You can have it so every time you download, it starts with a new image number. That's really up to you. But the main thing that I like to focus on here is date and job code. When I save images, they are all saved within the same month folder of the same job code. Okay, now to make more sense of that, I have my year folder. So now we're in 2021. So I'll go photos, year, I'll open 2021, and then I will have all of my different months. If I was opening some pictures from say today, they would be in the March folder. Now inside my March folder, everything is saved by job code. This is just what is easier for me. Anything family-wise from March 2021 will be labeled family. If it's something more specific, so when we come to a kid's birthday this year, any photos from that day will be labeled as their birthday. I can find stuff either by search using the job code or by a quick glance going, I know what happened this month. I know this is what it was related to. I can pull those pictures up. For me, when it comes to working, I can be taking pictures for one client over a course of a week, two weeks. And I want all of those pictures to be together. I do not want to be jumping between different days. It's so much harder to keep track of stuff as I'm A, editing it and then delivering it to the client. I want all of that stuff to be as close together in one folder as possible. So unless that time period is being broken up over two separate months, that job, all of it is really nice and close together. And I wish I would have found this program and this way of naming earlier because everything pre-15, 14, my renaming scheme was definitely not this clean. And one of the reasons why it is so clean is thanks to Rapid Photo Downloader. We must take a lot of photographs. Per year, I average right around 10,000 pictures a year. Wow, that's a lot of pictures. No wonder you have so much storage. <laughs> <laughs> that is why I have so much storage. Yes. Yeah, moving drives in my house is like a two-day process. Right, I believe it. Just even the time in transferring files has got to mm -hmm. be enormous. Exactly. I imagine you have to prevent bit rot. How often you buy drives? ZFS, ButterFS, they have bit rot protection if they're kept alive, but if they're just sitting and not moving. Right. Yeah, I'm not really sure what the span is on such things. That's part of the reason why I need a NAS. I know I have lost some pictures, especially of my oldest, due to that. Well, I do access the drive quite often, and it's always, it started up every single time that I use the drive. But this is one of those cases where I have so much shortage that a NAS really would be a much better option than the single drive that I'm using now. But it typically gets updated at least every couple of years. I think a NAS solution is probably a good idea. So I'm hoping that'll be one of the next office upgrades that really is necessary. Yeah, I would agree. I don't have a NAS, but like my server does function as such in a manner of speaking. Yeah. I don't know what, that I'd want to live without it again, become rather addicted to its existence. So Nate, what have you been up to this week? What other things you got going on playing with? 
Well, since our last episode, episode 50, our feedback episode, that there was a message from Mauro Gaspari that we talked about how he went to the LaserJet Pro printer in his house. And he said that basically it was a good purchase, a very long-winded episode because brevity is not in his DNA, as he said. He spent $500 on a printer and with the initial packs of toner, he's gone through 1,600 black pages and 1,100 color pages. He still has 40% of his initial supplies left. That was very compelling. I did kind of file it because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't committed to doing anything at that time. But I had some troubles this weekend where my primary printer, which is an inkjet, it gave me problems. I went to fix it and clean the print heads. It actually made the whole problem worse. Uh, my backup printer also failed on me. And so I kind of had it. I very rarely make impulsive decisions. Like, it took me nine months to buy my first e-reader, if that is any indication of how slow I am. I ended up purchasing on Monday, which has arrived today, an HP LaserJet Pro multifunction. It's an M479FDW. It rolls right off the tongue, as most of these hardware manufacturers just make just such awesome names. It's got wireless and it just came today. I also purchased the extra 550 sheet feeder tray because I don't want to have to deal with maintenance on the printer. He brought up like, if you buy good quality hardware, it doesn't have to be brand new, but just good quality hardware, it'll last you many, 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 many years. Now really my, my OfficeJet Pro printer, it has lasted me eight years now. It's not like it was a mistake to buy. So it was a good machine, but it's just at the end of its service life, I'm having troubles with it. You know, I don't want to have to keep dorking with it just to keep it going. I don't like spending as much as I do on ink and as often as I do. If this is as good as he says, and this actually, it's a newer model of what I have and what he has. I don't know if it uses the same toner cartridges or not. If it's anywhere as good as he says it is, then this should be one less thing that I have to worry about on a uh, somewhat regular basis, if that makes any sense. I'm sure it's going to be easy to set up with Linux, but I'll probably document my process of setting up with Linux and how it goes, specifically in SUSE, because I have an almost unhealthy obsession with the project. So I will give my feedback as such. Awesome. I can't wait to hear next week how this printer is working for you. I was convinced after the letter from Mario last week that I absolutely need to go laser I looked at them again right after we got done recording that episode, and I almost clicked buy on one, but it's one of those things that I know it would be a benefit. I know I need one, just have a hard time spending the money to do it. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram and Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and all of our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. For more information where you can find me, you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings, my podcast, and YouTube channel can be found there. And you can find my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You can find me on Mastodon at WendyDLN at Mastodon.online. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome DLN swag. My Hardware Addicts tank top just Ooh. showed up. I am so excited even though I have new headshots out, there will be new ones again because I have to have one wearing this new Hardware Addict swag. You can also find other stuff from shows across the network on the merch store. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of Deal and Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. 